Good morning, church. It's good to be with you today. I'm continuing the sermon series that Alex has begun this uh, quarter, God's Kitchen Ingredients for a Healthy Soul, where we're looking at uh, spiritual disciplines that connect us better with God and uh, with what He wants to do in our lives. And uh, today, as may be appropriate since it's Valentine's Day weekend, we're looking at loving And because this is sort of a a common theme I think I come to when I uh, preach, I decided to look at it from a little bit of a different angle. And instead of the discipline of loving others, we're going to talk about the discipline of receiving love, the discipline of receiving love. And it is a discipline, right? It can be hard. Sometimes we don't want to receive that love. So, today we're going to talk about the discipline of receiving love, and uh, Mackenzie Catlett is going to help me out here uh, for a moment here at the beginning of the sermon. And uh, we're going to use the metaphor of gift during this sermon, gift for love. And, you know, you know like I said, I want to talk about receiving love, receiving the gift of love. Sometimes it's uncomfortable to receive the gift of love. Sometimes we're it doesn't make sense why we're getting a gift. Sometimes we don't want to admit that we need it. Sometimes we feel guilty or feel like we're going to be in debt to the person if we take the gift. Um, sometimes it can be scary. <laughs> we could feel vulnerable if we have to accept that gift from someone. I mean, sometimes, sometimes someone is trying to give someone a gift, and we notice this dynamic that's happening where the person who's supposed to be receiving the gift, gift isn't taking it, or they're, um, they're somehow criticizing it, or they're undermining it, or they're blowing the gift giver off, and it's awkward, and then the person who's trying to give the gift doesn't know what to do. It's a tough, it's a tough situation. Oh, huh. Thank you, Mackenzie. I appreciate it. Well done. Let's give her a hand. So, receiving love, it's a discipline. It's a discipline. It's a discipline. And of course, there are consequences when we don't. Not least of those is is gratitude. And I think gratitude is a basic ingredient for the most immature of spiritualities. And unless we can accept love, unless we embrace the gifts given to us in our lives, we are not capable of even having gratitude. I love this quote from the 13th century German mystic and theologian Meister Eckhart. He says, if, if the only prayer you said was thank you, that would be enough. But not even that is possible if we don't know how to receive. And and I'll tell you this morning, uh, self-sufficiency is not a virtue, and receiving is absolutely a discipline. You know, as Americans, it's sort of in our culture to idealize the opposite posture of receiving. We, we idealize the self-made man, the self-made woman, the one who takes care of themselves and can do it. We celebrate people who are incredibly successful in sports and business and entertainment. We look at people who do really, really, really well, and we imagine they are great because they have it together. They made the right decisions. They worked really, really hard. They, they didn't screw up. They kept at it long enough, and it all came together for them, baby. Yes, 
Yes, we love the self-made person. We tell ourselves, you don't, you don't need handouts. You don't need help, and I don't want them. I want to do it on my own. Thank you very much. And perhaps that's why Malcolm Gladwell's findings in his book, Outliers, was so surprising and enchanting to us. Um, his thesis is summed up pretty well in this quote. The people who stand before kings, he says, may look like they did it all by themselves, but in fact they are invariably, invariably the beneficiaries of hidden advantages extraordinary opportunities and cultural legacies that allow them to learn, work hard, and make sense of the world in ways that others cannot. The self-made person that we believe in is a myth. The person who needs to receive nothing to become even who they're created to be is a myth. And I think that in some ways we embrace this as Adventists, too. Um, we love to give. We're incredibly giving people of all the American denominations. We're one of the most givingest. And that's in a country that is incredibly generous in terms of the, what we give on a world uh, stage. We are an incredible, generous people. We would give the shirts off our back. We would loan our car. We'd give clothes. We'd come over and work. We'd donate money. We'd volunteer our time. We're do, willing to do anything. We give really, really well as Adventists. And at the same time, most of us, we'd have to be in pretty dire straits to feel comfortable getting those things back. And maybe even if we're in dire straits, we probably still wouldn't feel comfortable doing it. And maybe if we're in dire, dire, dire straits, we would only in protest. Um, you know, this, this past month, Henning Goldhammer retired from being uh, officially on the pastoral staff here at the University Church, and so he's been in the office the last few weeks kind of cleaning out his office and taking stuff home. And, and, you know, there's some stuff to kind of throw away, and there's some stuff that gets filed and kept around the church. And, and he found a, a lot of different things that kind of either have historical significance to the church that we want to keep around or receipts and that kind of thing. And, and one of the things that he came across that he, that he showed me and, and some others who were, who were in the office this week was, uh, was this uh, brochure about a program that was, that was operating here in the church back in the mid-'80s. It was called the Sharing Network. And some of you know what this is. Will you raise your hand if you recognize this? From, I've talked to multiple people here this morning who know exactly what this is. It was in the, in the mid-'80s, and it was, kind of, it, was, it was an ingenious program that sort of was designed to, to fix a, a kind of a problem, and that's that there are people who have resources and are excited and willing to give, who are sometimes disconnected from people who have real needs and really are looking out for some help. There's kind of a gap there, and this program was kind of designed to bridge that gap to bring these people together. And so uh, there was a whole guide, and, and this church followed this program. They actually bundled it together and shared the program with other churches around. It was a really uh, cool thing. So uh, there was a, a handout that went in I don't know, bulletins, or maybe it was in the pews, I'm not sure, but it was sort of a survey. What would you be willing to, to, to give? How would you be willing to help out? And then likewise, how do you need to be helped? What do you need? How can we help you? And, and you, you know, people filled out what they were willing to do. And it's interesting, we, when we were talking in the office there, Henning said, you know, we got hundreds and hundreds of responses back. 
And the responses that said, yes, I would help. I could help work. I would write a check. I could bring this clothes. I can cook this. He said there were mountains, comparatively, of people, hundreds and hundreds of people who were willing to give um, compared to a relatively small amount, a really small number. I mean, he said it may have been a thousand to one of people who were willing to receive, who needed something done for him uh, or or for them. Um, You know, we here at the University Church, we love to give. We love to give. But but maybe maybe we too have a little work to do with the discipline of receiving love. And of course, the reasons for that dichotomy, the reasons for that imbalance are probably, you know, they're as individual as we are. There's many, many different reasons. But I want to look at three, three three quick vignettes here as we close the sermon uh, today. the first one's from the book of Luke, Luke chapter 10, and there's a little story right at the very end of that chapter that many of us will be familiar with. Jesus goes to have dinner at the house of two sisters, Mary and Martha, and the story goes that, that uh, Mary sits at Jesus' feet with the other disciples and is blessed by Jesus. She learns from him. He's teaching. He's talking, you know, sharing, and so on. And then Martha, the other sister, is, is in hospitality mode, right? She's cooking and cleaning and taking care of her guests and doing all the, all the practical things that need to be done when you have people over. And the story, it kind of the tension between these two sisters kind of grows to a head, and Martha eventually complains, hey, my sister, she's a deadbeat. Jesus, tell her to get up and help me around here. And you know, a lot of times when we talk about this, we talk about personality, how different people are just wired differently and so on. But as I was thinking about this story myself, I was wondering, I I wondered to myself, like, what if Martha was so active and working so hard? What What if part of the reason she wasn't at Jesus' feet receiving that blessing, what if part of it had to do with fear? What if she didn't want to be at Jesus' feet? What, what if that, that energy expending on working and cleaning and being hospitable, what if that was anxious energy? What if she was kind of afraid of the connection that would come if she sat at Jesus' feet and was blessed? I mean, when we receive gifts, when we receive love from other people, it's kind of an invitation to a deeper, intimate relationship. And for some of us, that's scary. So I wonder, as I, as I look at Martha, man, I wonder if she was scampering around, scurrying around, doing all this stuff frantically, trying to make sure she didn't have to connect. You know, this last, uh, well, I guess it's this, Valentine's, just this past week, uh, my wife Paige gave me a gift for Valentine's Day. She gave me floor mats. Really, she gave me floor mats for the kitchen. And they're those, um, they're those anti-fatigue uh, floor mats you put in the kitchen. Oh, they're glorious. And I have to tell you, these were, this was a really, really meaningful gift for me. And I'll tell you why. I do, a lot of the, or I do most of the cooking in our house. And I'm in the kitchen a lot. And we were visiting some family back at Christmas time. And this family had these floor mats in their kitchen. And I made one comment, mm, I really like those floor mats. And then here we go. Two months later, these floor mats 
show up. And I like the floor mats, but what I like more, of course, is that my wife pays attention to me. She knows me. She cares about me. That gift was a sign of the intimacy we share, and it's a beautiful thing. I mean, I could have blown it off. I could have ignored her. I could have made her feel uncomfortable. I could have criticized the gift. I could have said it was too expensive. I could have done all kinds of different things. But by accepting that, it it invites and acknowledges a deeper level of intimacy in our relationship. You know, for some of us, we've been hurt. Like, we've connected really, really deeply with someone, and they've betrayed us. They've hurt us profoundly. They've abused us. They've gone beyond what we deserved. Or, or we've loved someone well, and, and we've lost them, and we suffer in sadness. So for, for some of us, I, I can imagine that resisting intimacy has more to do with, with like being a defense mechanism. We associate that. You know, I know what happened the last time I let someone in. I got walloped, and I'm not going to let it happen again. And so resisting that for some of us is a defense mechanism. I don't, I want to just protect myself. And so, so if you kind of relate to Martha in this story, if you kind of see yourself as a Martha type who's pragmatic and working and going at it, maybe, 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 it might be that you have some work to do around intimacy. And in order to practice this discipline of receiving love well, you you might have some work to do around building trust and intimacy with people in your life. So that's the first one. Second uh, vignette, uh, Elisha, story of Elisha and Naaman. We actually, this was part of our sermon series, the, the previous one, where we were looking at characters back in November. And, and some of you remember, we had, we had a, a first and second grade class from Rogers here. They put on a play right here about Naaman and Elisha. And if you, you're not familiar with the story, this is kind of how it goes. Naaman, form, foreign ruler, I think he was Syrian, he got leprosy and he approaches Elisha the prophet and asks for healing. And, and Elisha acquiesces. He heals him. He tells him to go wash in the river. And, and then Naaman comes back and he tries to pay Elisha for that deed. Elisha says, no, I am not going to receive that payment. And then sort of the punchline of the story is when Elisha's servant goes back and says, hey, but I'll take it, right? And, and sort of takes that payment. Uh, but I, I want to look at a little bit of a different aspect in this story this morning. You know, when when Naaman gets healed, his first impulse is to pay for it. You know, Naaman gets this gift, free gift from Elisha. Elisha doesn't doesn't set a price at the beginning. He doesn't say, well, if you do this and this and this, and then I'll take care of you. No, like, it's a gift. It's a gift of healing from God himself. And, And Naaman's first impulse is to pay for it. Rather than receiving this gift of health, of healing, of life with open arms, freely, willingly, with thanksgiving and gratitude, he immediately looks for how he can cover the tab. And I think this is a common way that we we relate to receiving gifts. I think to receive love is to give up a little bit of control. We lose a little bit of power when we accept a gift, a real, free, open gift of love. 
And in a sense, I think accepting that handout, if you will, can be a blow to our ego. And we, we would rather just pay for it. I don't want to be submitted to this person. I don't want to have to admit that I need that person. I would rather just take care of it, deal with it, bite the bullet, just do it. You know, I think about that sharing network program we just looked at a minute ago. I mean, why do you suppose so many of us weren't willing to say, yeah, I could use some help? To me, I, I think about ego. I think about many of us maybe were thinking, yeah, I don't want, what are, what are people going to think if I sign up and say, yeah, I need someone to come over and help me rake the leaves? What are people, what, are, what is someone going to say if I say I need help painting the house or I need help moving or I need help with meals? I mean, I know I can do this stuff myself. I don't need, I can take care of this stuff. It's, it's a blow to the ego. We have to give up a little bit of control to accept And so, as the rugged individuals as we are, we don't ask. We let our ego build up. We keep control. We keep power. We take care of ourselves. You know, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount famously says, it's the meek who will inherit the earth. And inheriting, that's a passive action. It's not something we do anything for. It just comes to us, it's gravy. And so for you, as you think about receiving love, as you think about receiving gifts, if you immediately start thinking about, hmm, what would other people say? What will that person say? What would I do? What would my reputation be? What would happen with this? Uh, Can I be in control of that? What will that do to me? Will I still be able to take credit for it? If those are sort of the lines of thoughts that go into it, it might just be. It might just be that you have some work to do around ego in order to practice the discipline of receiving love well. So the first one, fear of intimacy. The second one, control, power. And now the third vignette, it's another supper scene, this time from John chapter 13. It's the last supper. Jesus and his disciples are sitting around the table, and the text says that Jesus begins to wash his disciples' feet. And for those of us who are familiar with the story, we know that Peter, namely, he objects to this action. No, you will surely not wash my feet. You will never do this, in fact. Peter says. And we don't totally know what exactly his motivation is, but I don't think it's a stretch to imagine or or to assume that that Peter's complaint has something to do with worthiness. Everyone has their place. And Jesus, of course, is up here, and I'm down here, and the person who washes feet is down here, and Jesus has no place down there, and I'm certainly not worthy of Jesus if he's taking that role. I'm not worthy of of this honor at all. I think it echoes of Jesus' baptism, actually. You think back to John the Baptist in the river. Jesus comes to him and says, John, I want you to baptize me. And John, likewise, very similarly responds, what? I'm not baptizing you. You should baptize me. And then John actually says it out loud, I am not worthy of even untying your sandals. He says, I'm not worthy of this gift. I'm not worthy of this honor. 
I am not worthy of accepting. I am way too low to receive this kind of thing. I, I think sometimes we, we struggle with receiving love, with receiving gifts because of, of worthiness, because of shame. In some ways, that comes down to keeping score. You know, we, we know who owes who, who's where, um, who, who deserves what, and who doesn't deserve this other thing. And so when we get offered a gift, we run it through our rubric and see, no, I don't really deserve that, so I'm not going to take it. Or that person sure doesn't deserve that. They shouldn't have that at all. You know, we're in this sort of political season of, of debating. And, you know, some of the big debates are about money, resources, how they should be spent, who deserves what, who should have to pay for what, who shouldn't have to pay for what, whose part of the pie goes where and why, who should make the pie in the first place, and so on. And these are, you know, intense debates. Who's worthy of receiving this, that, or the other program? And there's, of course, wide and divergent views on these issues, and probably wide and divergent views on, that, on those issues in this room When it comes to receiving love, it's all gravy. No one deserves any of it. No one earns it. No one has the rights to it. No one's entitled to it. And it only comes because someone gave it freely. I think, I think for those of us who immediately start thinking of, of scores when we talk about receiving love, we immediately start thinking about, well, do, am I really, do I really deserve this? Is it really owed? I, th I think the biggest danger for some of us is, is trying to apply that dynamic to how we think about God. And when we start applying the, the logic of there's no such thing as a free lunch to God, our theology can get really screwed up. We can start turning God's grace into a transaction. You know, God, yeah, his love is absolutely unconditional, and you just need to keep the Sabbath and quit smoking and not drink anymore and not do, like, it's, it's totally unconditional, absolutely, and do these things, and it's great. It's, it's awesome. God's love is great. It's unconditional, and... Or, or we kind of do like the sort of the second half like perfectionism thing. Yes, God's love is absolutely unconditional for everything that happened before, and you get to be perfect from here on out because it's not unconditional anymore except we don't really say that, right? We just sort of let it be the undertow. Yeah, it's, it's unconditional, and get it together from here on out. I think for some of us, maybe we, we just struggle with thinking about that. Um, is God's love really unconditional when I can't even imagine my friend loving me if they knew about this, if they knew about what I was thinking? You know, one of my um, favorite quotes from the late theologian Dallas Willard is, grace isn't opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. So if you're someone who gets down on yourself, who questions whether or not you really deserve a gift, or maybe who, who kind of first see the faults of others first and wonders, man, they don't really deserve that thing. If when you hear God loves you exactly as you are in this moment and died for you as you are, 
and will continue to love you as you are forever. If, if when you hear that, you kind of immediately start to think about theology and whether that's right, and if there's loopholes, might be. It might be that you have some work to do around worthiness and shame. It might be that you have some work to do in order to be able to receive love well. You know, for me, the, the moments in my life where I have experienced God the most tangibly, where I've felt deep in my soul what it feels like to be loved by God, are moments when I've stood completely exposed, vulnerable before other human beings, family members, brothers and sisters in Christ, friends, in moments where I was in their hands and they didn't leave. They stuck with me. And they wanted me. Those are the moments when absolutely at their mercy I received compassion and kindness. Those are the moments for me when I've most tangibly known what it feels like to be loved by God. And, and in those moments, the only thing I could do was receive. This morning, I want to close with uh, a prayer uh, over you, over us. Um, so I want to invite you to, to close your eyes and bow your heads with me. And I want to invite you to, to, to put your hands out in front of you with your, your palms facing down. Dear Jesus, we hold on to many things, and many of these things block us from receiving your love, from receiving the blessings you have for us, from receiving love and gifts from people in our lives. Our God, this morning I pray that you help us to release those things. May we let go of them. May, we, may they fall out of our hands, out of our lives. Some of us are afraid of really connecting deeply with people. It's a scary thought. We've been hurt. We've experienced loss. Jesus, I pray that you take that fear from us. Others of us, we really like to be in control. And we're really proud of how competent we are. And our, our competence, our ability to take care of ourselves gets in the way of being able to experience and receive love. And for still others of us, God, we are hiding in shame. We've got secrets. We know who lines up with who. We know where we line up. And we just can't imagine that such a beautiful gift is free. So, God, I pray for all of us in this room. May we release those things, even if it's not those things, even if it's something else that blocks us from receiving that love. Jesus, I pray that you take those things for, from us. And, and now, as we turn our hands over, as we face our palms up, Jesus, I pray that you would give us the gifts that you have for us. May you bless us with your love. 
He blessed us with good things, not because we're going to do something with him, not because we're going to change the world, not because of all the things that we're going to accomplish, but because we are loved and you are love. Jesus, bless us, bless this church. May we walk with you. Amen. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, and how high and deep is the love of Christ for us. And to this love that surpasses, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than everything we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. after the service, we invite those of you who would love to be prayed over by an elder to come right up here in the front.